Welcome to Of Slippers and Spindles. I'm Drew. And I'm Cassie. This is a podcast all about fairy tales and fairy tale retellings. Each month we choose a different tale and discuss books, movies, and other media based on that story. This month we are talking about The Princess and the Pea, and today's episode is about The Princess Test by Gail Carson Levine. We would like to thank our patron Megan for sponsoring this episode. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much, Megan. And Drew, you know what else we are? What else are we? In addition to being a podcast that talks about fairy tales and fairy tale retellings. What are we? We are also a podcast that Marissa Meyer knows exists. (laughs) That is true. We have been mentioned to her a couple times. Shout out to Bethany for (laughs) bringing us up. And that that is the second time in my life. I've never met this woman in person, unfortunately. But that is the second time in my life that she's been aware of my existence. Because <laughs> What's the first a time? few a few years ago, um, she was doing a, a like a live Q and A through a library in California, and I really wanted to arrange um my middle school book group to be able to sit in on it, but it was at like seven p.m. their time, so it was like ten p.m. our time. And we couldn't stay open that late. And so I was Mm. in contact with the librarian in California who was running it. And she said, well, if you collect questions from your kids and submit them to me, I'll ask some of them. Oh, that's sweet. And so we submitted the questions. And then she was going through and she was reading them with Marissa. And she said, and this one comes from a library in Bowling Green, Ohio. And Marissa was like, why are these people awake in Bowling Green, Ohio listening to this? (laughs) And, And then she asked one of the questions that I submitted and oh. I wrote and Marissa said that it was a really good question that she was glad had been asked. And I was like, well, <laughs> so anyway, um, what was the question? Do you I'm remember? grasping. The question was, I said that one of my favorite adaptation choices that she made was Cress's name because it was yes. so clever as yes. a reference to um, the plant that she was named after, but also having to do with the moon because she's lunar. Um, and what was Marissa's favorite adaptation choice that she made oh, in her Oh, that's books. cute. Do you remember and what she And she agreed answered? with me that oh. it was Cress's name. Oh, nice. And nice. I was like, ha-ha. And so, you know, I'm holding on to that with everything I have. That's sweet. I'm going to be meeting Marissa, hopefully, uh, next month when Gilded comes out, she will be here in St. Louis for a book signing, and I'm really excited to go see her. If I mail you a book of mine, will you get it signed for oh, me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. It'll be like the third time in my life I've done that as well with a friend. <laughs> you get to meet this author and I can't. Can I mail you my book? Yeah, I would totally do that. Phenomenal. Now, um, um, speaking of meeting important people who are famous and not meeting so much as seeing i have to brag yeah go ahead because this weekend i got to go see sweeney todd in springfield missouri which is only about three hours from me and it starred as mrs lovett kim crosby aka the original cinderella in into the woods on broadway she was so amazing i have been looking forward to this for so long and she delivered the show was so good i enjoyed sweeney todd more than i've ever enjoyed it before it was just so delightful i've had a really good summer of theater and this was like a nice way to end it you have and i'm happy for you i'm also very jealous but i'm happy for you (laughs) well speaking of theater uh, (laughs) speaking speaking of theater cassie's in tech week oh god yeah that's why the brain is so foggy the height Um, of tech week 
we open tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. that's our that's our status at the moment. And so um yesterday was final dress for my main cast actors. So I've got two actors that are understudied because they're in marching band. And so yesterday was their final dress rehearsal and today is final dress for their understudies, which is just a little stressful. The understudies have not had as much rehearsal time as I would like them to have. Uh not their fault, not my fault, just a fault of, you know, physics. It's the nature and of yeah, the time theater. space continuum. Yeah. But of course, because it was the worst possible timing in the middle of their run last night, I got what's called a silent migraine, which I get I it's hereditary. I get it from my mom. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a migraine, but without any of the pain symptoms, luckily. It just affects my vision. So when they come on, I basically lose vision for like a half an hour. Oh, my gosh. And I got two back to back last night in the middle of rehearsal. So for a solid like third of the show, I just couldn't see. Um, So my notes are interesting. (laughs) I told the kids that it happened after the fact and they were all very concerned. And I was like, I I promise I'm fine. Like it, it, it's not even a headache. Like my head doesn't even hurt. It's just for like a half an hour. I can't see. And. I was like, but I still took notes because I could hear you and I could – I had peripheral vision. So I was like turning my head to like oh my <laughs> see gosh. what I could and take notes on that. So I had fun taking some notes where I was like, I couldn't see very much in this moment, but I could see that you were not on center even though I taped center for you before the show and pointed to it and you <laughs> promised me you knew where center was. I could see enough to see that you didn't hit your mark. <laughs> so my notes are full of fun things like that from last night. Uh, but it's going to be a good show. I'm excited for it. I will, of course, be sad when it's over. Uh, last night was the first night I openly sobbed during uh, Days of Plenty, which uh, it's such a beautiful song in Little Women. And it has personal resonance for me because it's all it's Marmy's song that she sings after Beth dies um, and like helping Joe figure out how to manage the grief of having lost someone so important to her. And it's the song that I listened to on repeat after my cousin died when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And so I've told them already, I was like, making me cry during Days of Plenty is like, you don't have to do anything. Right. You literally just have to sing the first word and I will already be weeping. But my Beth did get me last night as well. And she got Chase, which is impressive. My husband does not cry um, at media. And she, she got him. So I was very proud of her for that. Wow. I said, kudos. Good job. Wow. Well done. Yeah. Well, break a leg to everybody. These shows go so fast because you only do one weekend, right? We only do one weekend. We're doing five yeah. shows this weekend, which is more than we would oh, do. Oh, that's good. Just a three show. Okay. Yeah. Weekend. Yeah. At least they get but, five out of it. But we are performing in a small theater space this time. And so we can only fit about 70 people a night. And so we did five shows to try and allow more people to see them. And we're almost sold out, which is really exciting. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Well, break a leg. Thank you. Y'all got this. And in between frantic 12-hour days for my show, <laughs> I did find time to read The Princess Test by Gail Carson Levine. It was – it's only like 50 pages long. So <laughs> that's why I could <laughs> successfully achieve that for this podcast. Literally, this has to be the shortest thing we've ever uh, covered on the podcast. So, yes, mm-hmm. we're talking about The Princess Test by Gail Carson Levine. This is one of her – it's a little series called The Princess Tales – Although you and I refer to them as the Tales of Biddle, like that's what they've always been in my mind. But like officially on the website, they're called the Princess Tales and like on the side of the book. Chronicles of Biddle is a better name. So that's what I'm going to continue. It is. It's much more like definitive. 
how I've referred to them in my notes. So yeah, um, no, the Princess Tales is not very descriptive, but it's this series that she came out with shortly, I believe, after Ella Enchanted. Each one is set; they're all set in the same kingdom of Biddle, and each one is like a hundred pages, but there are illustrations and the words are very big. So they go by really quick and each one's a different fairy tale. So there are six in the series. So I thought we would go through the six and just mention what all is involved here. So the first book is called The Fairy's Mistake. And it's the only version I know, the only retelling I know of Diamonds and Toads. And then there is another the one. The second one. There is there is an Indian culture inspired retelling called Toads and Diamonds. It's a it's a YA novel. Oh, okay. I love Diamonds and Toads. I would love to cover it one day. So we should look out there. If other people know of more Diamonds and Toads uh, retellings, please let us know because I would love to do a month of that. There's a short story as well from an anthology called Twice Upon a Time. I don't remember the author. Okay. Okay. We only need one more. We only need four. They're they're more adult focused. Um, but I remember that the it focuses on the girl with the toads, and she becomes sure. like a herpetologist at the end. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So there might be enough. We might be able to cobble a month together. Yeah, yeah. I think we could do it maybe next year at some point. So we've got The Fairy's Mistake. Then we have the second book, which is the one we'll be talking about today, The Princess Test, which is about the princess and the pea. We have Princess Sonora and the Long Sleep, which is Sleeping Beauty. We have Cinderella and the Glass Hill, which is a combination of Cinderella and the Glass Hill, obviously, a gender-bent Cinderella. And then the last two are called For Biddle's Sake, which is kind of a twisted, mixed up frog prince. And then The Fairy's Return is The Golden Goose. And Cassie, I decided, since these are all so short, and because I'm a little behind on my my goal of hitting 100 books this year, I decided to read them all because my library had all of them. I wanted to. Um, that was originally my goal because I, I got an ebook version of, there's an anthology called The Fairy's Return that has all six, like, all together. I wanted to read all of them because they do connect to each other. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get to it because time. Yeah, you but were busy. I was a little busy. But I, I found myself as I read this one wishing that I'd had time to read all of them because I remember a little bit about these stories, but not very much. So I yeah. definitely blew through these six stories in my Ella Enchanted, my initial Ella Enchanted phase. But I only vaguely remember. I remember that Biddle is a very silly place and that most of these retellings are kind of like tongue in cheek playing up the the humorous, silly aspect of fairy tales. Yeah, I think I wrote tongue in cheek in my notes as well. It's a little yeah. shrecky because this is like at that time where it's like we're not taking anything too seriously. Everything you would imagine is very like bright colored, that kind of like surface level fairy tale world. And I also said it's a little, there's a little bit of a pushing Daisy's vibe mm-hmm. with like the names, like this, the, the city, the village is called Snetting on Snokes, which is super cute and reminds me of like Cur de Cur and the, the types of names that you encounter in the TV show Pushing Daisies. I will say, I did not get to read Cinderella's and the Glass Hill, just jumping back to that real quick, because my library doesn't have it, and I'm very disappointed in them. Why would you have five and not six? I'm guessing someone lost it or ruined it along the way. Oh. But I, I'm very frustrated. To to read five out of six is very frustrating. I need the last one. I do understand that. As a librarian, if you want me to get into why a library would have... Oh, there's a million reasons. Not- I know. There's there's a ton. I could do a whole episode on it. I won't bore you with it now. But don't 
Don't blame the library. Just fill out a suggestion for purchase form. Oh, yeah, I should do that. I should do that because I'm like itching. I'm like, Cinderella, (laughs) I need you. But I remember that there's like there's like a a wacky fairy who does she reappear? She makes silly mistakes. Yeah. Ethelinda is the fairy in the first book. And then she messes up so bad with the diamonds and toads that she goes away for hundreds of years and she misses all the other books. And then she comes back for the fairy's return and is the fairy in the golden goose. Yeah, and I vaguely remembered that, but there's also a book by Bruce Covell called The World's Worst Fairy Godmother that plays on that same idea. Mm. And I was like, maybe I'm mixing those two up. But no, it's just, it's the same idea. And that is, that is fine. But yeah, this is a fun, quick, silly little read. Um, It's, it's, I enjoyed it. Um, But it is, it's very much written for like early elementary age readers. Yeah, and as far as like, the princess tales go it's actually one of the more complicated storylines like most of the time they're very 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 straightforward and this one is a little bit more involved okay so yeah we start with a blacksmith named sam Mm -hmm. and his wife gussie and they have a baby who they name lorelei lorelei is so connected to gilmore girls in our culture (laughs) there's a book called The Shadow Queen by C.J. Redwine. That's a retelling. It's a YA retelling of of Snow White. And there are four books in that series so far, and they're all set in the same world, and each one is a different fairy tale. They're very good, but her Snow White character is called Lorelai, and it's it's a little jarring to me. It's I didn't even watch Gilmore Girls, but it's so connected to Gilmore Girls in my mind that like I come across I come across Lorelai, and I'm like. Hello, Alexis Bledel. Well, and I have a weird connotation with the name because the first time that I encountered it was in a short story written by Patricia Reedy called The Lorelei because the Lorelei is actually a figure in German folklore and is a, a siren who lures men to their deaths. Mm, interesting. And so the first time I ever encountered that name was in this short story about a creature from German folklore luring men to their deaths. <laughs> And so every time I see the name, I'm like, oh, yes, the, the man killer, Lorelai. But in this case, so, Lorelai is a very fussy and sensitive baby, like very to the max, to the extreme. And this got me thinking, reading about like, if she didn't have the right kind of fabric, she would break out in hives. And um, it, when she tried to wash dishes, she would have allergic reactions and like all this kind of stuff. And this got me thinking about the potential in modernizations to retell this story with a character who has some kind of OCD or oh. who maybe has something like mast cell activation syndrome where they are yeah. like literally allergic to everything. You would have to do it very carefully, obviously. You'd have to like be authentic and do it with integrity and do some research into it. But I think that there's some potential there. Yeah, there is something As an explanation there. for like why – this girl is so affected by these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. So um, when Lorelai is 14 years old, her mother dies and her dad promises not to remarry because all the stepmothers in fairy tales are evil. So he won't remarry, but he does hire a housekeeper named Trudy who quickly grows to resent Lorelai because she injures herself if she does anything except embroider. And and Lorelai wants to help. This is Lorelai's not like a lazy bones. She just 
like if she tries to do anything, she gets hurt. Right. And I it was interesting for me reading this because I was like, okay, on the one hand, with Lorelai, some of the things she can't help. You know, if she's allergic to whatever detergent or soap you're using to wash dishes and she breaks right. out in hives, like that's not something she can control. What are you going to do about that? But like when she sits down to try and spin and she stabs herself with a spindle, that's just practice. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just a matter of like not having the experience and the skill set. So sometimes I feel like Lorelai's problems are genuine, like things that she can't help or do anything about. But some of her problems are a result of the way that she's been raised with this overprotective kind of father and no one ever telling her to suck it up because sometimes things aren't perfect and we have to deal. <laughs> Yes, that's true. You know, but that's so also not entirely her fault, right? That's it's not entirely her the fault. fault of exactly. the way she's been raised. Yeah. But it, again, bringing up some interesting conversations because you do have to make a decision when you're telling the story. And I'm interested to com- kind of compare the directions that our adaptations this month take. You have to decide if you are going to make the circumstances and the test reasonable somehow. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to use the story to point out how ridiculous the circumstances and the test are? And this one is definitely steering hard into the ridiculousness of the circumstances. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So one thing about these books is that falling in love is very easy for anybody. Literally, these characters meet and they fall in love very, very quickly. And it's just kind of like part of the nature of this world. Uh, So like, I'm not going to complain about, you know, (laughs) romance is happening too quickly because that's what's going to happen. So uh, we have a prince named Nicholas who is going to come across Lorelai when she is hanging up her laundry and crying about her mother. And they pretty much instantly fall in love. Yeah, I also have a note. Like, I would like these two, the relationship to be established a little bit more. But I also recognize this is a novella written for children that's based on a fairy tale. Yeah, it's not concerned about developing a relationship in any way whatsoever. And it's playing on those fairy tale tropes. And one of the fairy tale tropes is Mm -hmm. love at first sight. I will allow it. But I do love Nicholas as an audience stand-in. Because his parents are ridiculous, and he knows that his parents are ridiculous. His parents, Queen Hermione and King... Humphrey. I don't remember his name. Humphrey. All of the kings and queens in all of the six books are named King Humphrey. So this is King Humphrey the first and Queen Hermione the second. And then as you go on, you or or Queen Hermione the first. But as you go on, you're going to meet King Humphrey the second, the third, the fourth. The, The parents are always named Humphrey and Hermione. I love that. Yeah. It brings up some questions, but I love it. Um, yeah, people just keep naming their children <laughs> Humphrey and Hermione. But it's nice because Except as you Nicholas. go on, like they will refer to like King Nicholas, like someone at some point mm-hmm. will refer to Queen Sonora years after she has passed, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, I like I like that. Remember liking that about this series. Which yeah. is another reason why I want to go back and read like the whole thing. There's not heavy but, continuity, um, but it's acknowledged, and it's but it's when enough. it happens, you're you're always like, oh, Sonora, there she is again. But yeah, so. So Humphrey and Hermione call their son and they're like, hey, we're getting older. We would like to abdicate our throne to you. However, before we do that, you need to have an heir in place. And so you need to get married. But we can't just let you marry anyone. So we have devised not just the P test. Oh, no. But a whole bevy of tests to make sure that this princess is a true princess. And I love that Nicholas hears this and he's like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean, a true princess? What are these tests? These tests are ridiculous because the tests are ridiculous and they really do steer hard into that. It's like she has to 
She has to pass like a measurement test, which is awful. Mm-hmm. And but then she also has to like be able to find a piece of parsley in her bouquet. And she has to be able to tell that the dress she's given it has a slightly different color on the top than on the bottom. Like all of these absolutely ridiculous things. And I like that Nicholas goes around going, this is absolutely off the wall. Yeah. Like why? Like why? Why is this a thing? Why are we doing this? Nobody could possibly pass all these tests. Yeah. So so King Humphrey announces this search for a true princess. Nicholas has no desire to do this at all because he fully just wants to marry Lorelai. And uh, meanwhile, Sam, Lorelai's father, has to leave on a trip. And so Lorelai is left in the care of Trudy. And Trudy is now fully invested in killing off Lorelai. She just wants her dead because she's so annoyed with all of her allergies and clumsiness. I was really Which feels a little amused. extreme. It was a little extreme. But I was I was amused by the self-awareness of like, oh, I'm not going to remarry because then you'll have an evil stepmother. And I know that that's a bad thing. But then that character still shows up. Mm-hmm. In this, like, there's still somebody playing that role in the story. And so it's like, you can't thwart whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, But yeah, so Trudy wants to be free of Lorelai, but she can't quite manage it. She's not very good at the whole killing thing. She doesn't try very hard, honestly. She doesn't try very hard. What she wants to happen is like, like, Lorelai has all of these problems, right? She, so she wants the problems to naturally kill Lorelai. So she, right. She kind of tries to leave Lorelai to her own devices, hoping that she will off herself. But it doesn't work. But she does eventually succeed at abandoning Lorelai in the forest in the middle of a storm. Right. So meanwhile, like back at the castle, all of these princesses, there are 79 princesses who have arrived to take the test. And so Lorelai is like stumbling through the woods. She has been separated from trudy in the storm and she's very concerned and so she's looking for trudy but she ends up at the castle at biddle castle and uh, the doorkeeper thinks that she is just another princess arriving for these tests and so he lets her in and when she gets there nicholas like kind of jumps in and and says like oh this is princess lorelei and she's like oh he wants me to pretend to be a princess oh okay i guess i'll just I'll go along with that. She picks up on his social cues, which at least she can do that much. Right. And she's actually pretty clever because she's very concerned about Trudy, who's out in the the forest lost, she assumes, the storm. And so, like, she's pretty clever with this. She's like, oh, yes, you're looking for – please go find my lady-in-waiting. My whole family's under a spell. She thinks that she is working for a blacksmith. That's how the spell's affecting her. And I was like, that's that's pretty smart because – you're you're anticipating if they find her, she's not going to back up this whole story about right. Lorelai being a princess. So already, like, work in a reason why she's going to tell you something different. I thought that was clever. Yeah, not too bad. Now, Lorelai is allowed to join in on these princess contests. And so she notices that the dress is the wrong color. And then she there's this whole thing about, like, the wrong like pieces of the wrong food being placed into the different dishes so like there's a piece of dried noodle left in the salad and she finds that and that happens like through the entire through every course of the meal and so she passes all of those tests the princesses who fail that test like in the first like couple of rounds okay that's fine that's not your fault but like by the time you have succeeded in two rounds 
if you you're should not be smart actively enough looking. To, yeah. <laughs> you should be actively looking for like what's wrong on my plate like nobody none of the princesses should have gotten disqualified in like the last three courses of the meal you're right <laughs> like and also humphrey and hermione First of all, having any sort of test to do with like measurements, you have to be within this size of like thing for your ears and your yeah, nose and your waist. That's what's and, coming like, next. That's awful. That's awful. Yes. But if you're going to do it, do that first. Right. Yeah. The like, first thing. So don't when let you them, like go through the whole course of food and they pass all five of those and it's like, ah, oh, no, your nose is too long. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Get them out of there first thing. Come on, this is rude. So, if you ever do an audition for like a character at Disney, so I auditioned for, I did a few different auditions there, um, but one of them was specifically looking for actors to play Kristoff. And so I went to this Kristoff audition and the first thing that they do is a height measurement. Because if you're not, if you're shorter than the actresses who are going to be playing Elsa and Anna, then you you really can't play Kristoff. And that's the first thing they do, like right away, is they they measure everybody. And I made it by like by a hair. Literally, if I had been a quarter of an inch shorter, they would not have let me move on. But but I did. But that's as far as I made it. I think I did I don't know what I did after that. I don't know if it was a monologue or or what we did after that, but I only made it through <laughs> through the height test. <laughs> but the the guy who auditioned right before me, he is now uh, one of the regular Gastons. I see him as Gaston all the time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was cool. He had never auditioned or acted for anything in his life. He literally told me that. I both love and hate mm-hmm. people like that. I know. Uh, I know. We, we had an invited audience to our final dress last night. Mm-hmm. And... One of them was afterwards was gushing to me about our girl who plays Beth because she's very, very good. She's very talented. Um, she made some acting choices in Beth's death scene yesterday that I had never directed her to do that were like incredibly effective. Mm. Um, and she's just got like these really natural instincts, both for comedy and for the serious stuff, which is rare to find. This is the second show she's ever done. Wow. Wow. Ever. The only thing she's done before this is she was flounder in her school's production of Little Mermaid last year. Wow, those are not comparable roles at all. Not even a little bit. Like she's Drastically going different. places because she she's just got the instincts, and you can't teach instincts. Wow, that's you impressive. can make up for not having instincts with experience and listening to direction, but like having those natural instincts is a big help. Mm-hmm. Goes a long way. So anyway, back to the princess test. Uh, Lorelai she passes all the measurement tests, and then she finds the parsley in the bouquet. So. That's great. And then now it's down to just her or this one other princess who's called the Crocodile Princess because she arrived in like a a boat, I think, that was led by crocodiles instead of a carriage led by horses. And she's like very kind of creepy and reptilian. (laughs) I am very interested to know about her kingdom. I know. I would love to know more about her. In her world. And then they take them to these rooms and they're like, oh, your last test will be in the morning. But then they take them to a room with a bed that is piled with 20 mattresses. And Drew, if it was me, <laughs> it's such if a I giveaway. Had just spent the entire day being tested and tested and tested. And then I was led to a bed with 20 mattresses on it and told, oh, yeah, your test, last test will be tomorrow. Right. I would be so suspicious 
I would be tearing test. that room Like, apart. at least you have to imagine that the test is, like, not falling off the bed. Yeah, like, something. And I, the fact that these parents are testing all of these princesses in the same room with the same test is just, like, incredibly poor planning. Well, this one is is not. They're in separate rooms. This one isn't, but, like, the whole day. You know, yeah, because as soon as one princess finds the noodle in her salad, everyone is going to be looking for the noodle. Like they should be in separate rooms or be doing this at separate times or every princess should have a slightly different like only one course of your meal has something wrong with it, you know, and it's different for everybody. Right. That would make sense. Just the king and the queen needed to put some more thought into this is all I'm saying. This is poorly, poorly planned out. Here's a detail that I like, though, is that Nicholas tries to sneak rocks under the top mattress for Lorelai. Mm-hmm. The servants won't let him into the room, but he at least he's actively he's trying, trying to yeah. thwart the test. Yeah, I like that. But of course, Lorelai, she tries to sleep on the 20 mattresses, but she can't. So she climbs back down and she sleeps on the floor by the fire. I don't know why that's better. Especially for her. She's so sensitive. Exactly. And she doesn't sleep very well. well yeah, she wakes yeah. up black and blue. And I also, I do really love that in the morning, Nicholas has made this vow that he's going to marry Lorelai regardless. He's not mm-hmm. going to go along with this. He knows the girl he wants to marry. If she wants to marry him, that's his choice. He's going to defy his parents. If he doesn't marry a true princess, they've told him before that they're going to disown him and pass the crown to his horrible cousin. And so he didn't want that to happen. But here he's like, no, I don't want to be married off to somebody that I don't love. I'm going to choose Lorelai no matter what. And then he throws a different test in at the end unexpectedly because a, a commoner brings his sick son to the palace looking for help. And because Lorelai has spent so much of her childhood sick, she immediately knows what to do. And Nicholas is like, aha, let me swing something in her favor. And so he asks the crocodile princess, like, what would you do in this situation? And the crocodile princess is like, ugh, they're peasants and they're gross. You know? Yeah. She actually what, says to what kill you'd them. Expect. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We love that. And so he's trying to use that with his parents. Like, see, she wants to kill our citizens and Lorelai wants to help them. And doesn't that mean that she'd be a better, a better princess? But they're so focused on like, how did you sleep? And she's like, I couldn't sleep at all. Can we please get some medicine for this kid? And I, I love that, too, that she's like, she doesn't even care. They're they're like, you passed all the tests. And Nicholas is like, marry me. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a sick child. Can I help the sick child? Whatever else you want is fine. Can I help the sick child? And I did like that. Yes. Yeah, so ultimately, ultimately, Humphrey and Hermione, they concede. And Nicholas is allowed to marry Lorelai. Trudy joins the palace staff. And everybody lives happily ever after. Yeah. It's cute. It's, cute. it's sweet. It's, it's short. It's not, yeah, it's, it's a not fun one. groundbreaking. You know, it's not doing anything stunning with the story, but it's fun. It's fun to read. It's a fun introduction. And I enjoyed reading it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the series. It's cute. It's not like, it's not gonna, if you need something easy just to like feel accomplished by reading a bunch of things real quick, this is a great series for that. But let's see how it stacks up against our criteria. Ooh, yes, let's do that. So our first criteria is to make it make sense, aka explain why the pee prevents the princess from sleeping. You're saying no. <sighs> I mean, yes, we are told, oh, Lorelai is super sensitive. She's super particular. But we're never told why. It's just like she just is. Yeah. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Like, we really go out of our way to emphasize the fact that she is very sensitive. So, like, like at and least she it's has very been clear. Life. Like, and I'm here for that. Yeah, yeah, but it's still, frankly, I'm just waiting for Once Upon a Mattress for this. Like, <laughs> I know. Like, honestly, I've already read the next one, and ugh, I mean, we kind of get there with that one, but it does something different. But uh, it's just like. With all of this criteria, I I literally feel like I'm waiting for Once Upon a Mattress. If Once Upon a Mattress did it, like, 100%. It's the definitive but princess in the pea, honestly. It is the definitive one. It really is. I do appreciate that she's not a princess and that this yes. is not some inherent whatever. She just happens to be particular in the same way that the queen is particular. And we're, that parallel is drawn throughout the story. Like, the queen's favorite breakfast is also Lorelai's favorite breakfast. Mm-hmm. Like... We're shown that she's just particular in the same way, but we do not get an explanation for why she has this sensitivity. And I would have liked at least a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. Maybe the fairy, maybe the fairy could have come back. Maybe there could have been some kind of like spell. Sure. Or something, you well, know? Well, this goes into our second criteria as well, which is to explain the need for a real princess. What is a true princess? Why do we need one? Again, it's like... Th- th- they they want a real princess because they want one. Like, there's no... And I don't mind that so much in this because it is made clear that this is just a weird particular thing that the king and queen have that not everybody else is on board with. The prince is like, this is ridiculous. Your expectations are ridiculous. That's true. And so because of that, I'm okay with it because the story itself is calling attention to the fact that this definition of a true princess and a real princess doesn't exist anywhere outside of their minds. Right. And their weird ideas of what's appropriate. I guess. I I don't know. I still feel unsatisfied with this. Again, I think Once Upon a Mattress answers this question in a way that I'm like waiting on someone else to like come up with something. Give me an actual explanation of some kind. And that's not really present here. And I mean, like, you know, I'm not critical of this book because I don't dislike this book because they don't answer these questions. But I can't sit here and say that they get the checkmark. Our third criteria is to introduce an antagonist in some way, some kind of conflict. We do have Trudy. However, Trudy ultimately doesn't go anywhere. No. Like, honestly, Trudy could be a benevolent character and the story could be the same. Like, all you have to do is when Lorelai gets lost in the forest, have her truly get lost instead of, like, fake getting lost. Instead of Trudy, like, losing her on purpose. And the story is the same. Yeah, I felt like Trudy as this weird villain was odd. I think the real conflict in this story just comes from the fact that Nicholas wants to marry one girl and his parents want to find him somebody different. It's not like an there's not like an antagonist, like a villain. Right. There is, but there is a conflict. Like there are two opposing desires. Yeah. Playing out. Yeah, I'll count that for sure. And then, of course, Cassie's bonus criteria. What is Where's the museum? museum? Where's the museum? Where Where's did the pea museum? go? Yeah, no answer to that question. I did love, because um, we talked about this a little bit in our intro episode, that like, the type of pee is different depending on the translation you're reading. And there's a scene in this when the the final test is announced where a chambermaid from the palace is like, I'm going to let me let me try this out. And she goes to get a pee. And oh, there's yeah. a line about she got a dried pee because surely they couldn't have been a fresh pee that would just get smushed. 
And so she goes to get this dried pee and puts it under the mattresses and she sees if she can feel it and she can't. She pulls all the mattresses off except one and she still can't feel it. And she's like, well, I guess I'm not a true princess then. (laughs) Yeah, that was a cute scene. But no museum. No museum. Yeah. And that is The Princess Test by Gail Carson Levine. Obviously, we enjoy these books. We recommend them. But they're not like there's nothing deep happening here. (laughs) No, no. No, if you haven't read them and you like Ella Enchanted and you like kind of this tongue-in-cheek poking fun at fairy tales but with love, mm. this is these are, are great little stories to read. And yeah. I give these out to my um I give these out to kids all the time in my library because we've got the anthology, the compendium of yes. all six stories. And I give them out to kids to read, especially if they've read Ella Enchanted and like Ella Enchanted. Um, because they're fast, quick reads for early readers and they're fun. And shout out to Gail Carson Levine, who has a book coming out this month, Sparrows in the Wind, which is a retelling of The Legend of Cassandra, all about you, coming out October 25th. Long story short, listen to Cassandra when she tells you things. (laughs) Otherwise, you might get killed by people hiding inside a horse. That's right. (laughs) All right. Next week, we will be talking about Violet Eyes by Debbie Vigier. I don't know how you say her name. Um, I've been saying Viguay for a long Viguay. time, but I have no idea if it's right. Yeah, Viguay, Viguay, Viguay. I don't but know. I've also, I found out this week as I was trying to find a place where I could read this online, that I've also been misspelling her name for years. Oh, well done. <laughs> it's fine. Well, yes, that will be our book next week. That is part of the Once Upon a Time series of YA novels that we have covered previously in the Frog Prince Month and 12 Dancing Princesses. We covered a couple different books from the series. So not 12 Dancing Princesses. We not did not 12 do, Dancing. What did we do? Frog Prince and... We did Frog Prince. We Jack did... and the Beanstalk. We did um, yes, The World we did Above. Jack and the Beanstalk. Mm-hmm. That's right. So join us next week to talk about violet eyes and uh we are we i know we just celebrated a big milestone with a bunch of giveaways through cinderella month because it was our two-year anniversary but we have another big milestone coming up we do we're about to hit 100 episodes yes that's right so we are going to do a very special episode for our 100th episode we are going to do an ask me anything so Instead of we'll skip a week, we won't have a fairy tale book or movie that week. We will just be answering your questions. So it's going to be a really boring episode if you don't send us questions. (laughs) So So please send us questions. You can can do that in all kinds of places. All kinds of places. You can find us all over the internet to ask us questions. You can ask us questions on our Patreon page if you uh, support our podcast financially as a patron, patreon.com slash of slippers and spindles. You can do it on our Facebook page, which you don't have to pay anything to be part of. Mm-hmm. You can do it on our Instagram. You can leave a comment with a question on any of our Instagram posts. You can send us an email with a whole long list of questions that you're just dying to know. Do that. I dare you. <laughs> Two of slippers and spendles at gmail.com and the questions don't have to be fairy tale related if you want to know what my favorite breakfast food is like yeah i'll answer that 100 percent uh so literally ask us anything and we will answer as many questions as we can in the time that we have which will probably be all of them i mean yeah <laughs> you know like we've we'll got, answer all of them why not we've we've made a three-hour episode before <laughs> we'll do it again <laughs> we'll do it again don't tempt us but yeah send us questions because we love talking to each other and about ourselves yeah 
If you have questions about Into the Woods, when I saw Into the Woods, ask those questions. If you have questions about, like you said, our favorite breakfast food or our favorite colors or or fairy tale stuff, ask us about books or, or stories we're writing or anything like that. That's what we would like to anything. do for you Oh, guys. my God. Ask me about the stories I'm writing. Oh, God. We'll I need be here very little invitation to talk about them. <laughs> if you want a three-hour episode... <laughs> Cassie will give you a three-hour episode. I will, 100%. So, yes, we would love to hear from you. We really want questions from you for our 100th episode. And uh, we also would love to know if you've read the Chronicles of Biddle or the Princess Tales, I guess, as they're officially known, <laughs> uh, and what your impressions of them are or what how you feel about this story or anything else that we've talked about. We love to hear from you. We'd love to interact with you. Listen, as soon as I saw that they were called the Princess Tales and not Tales of Biddle, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to mention this. And Cassie's going to hate the fact that I'm going to mention this. <laughs> and you should have seen the eye roll she gave when she mentioned it just now. <laughs> It's like we've known each other for 20 years. Can you believe that is that is crazy that we've known each other? It I mean, is crazy. 25. Oh, 25, oh God, 23, 25. I think. I was nine. I'm not. But I still. 11. Ask us questions about the shows we were in. Listen, okay, so I'm 34 currently, and uh, there is a line in the musical of Little Women where Joe is arguing with Professor Bear. And he says something that she doesn't like, and her her response is, well, what do you know about it? Anyway, you're an aging German professor close to 50. And his response is, I am 34. And as a 34-year-old, <laughs> I feel very, very personally, personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> and then my makeup artist was like, so you want age makeup on Mr. Lawrence, and you want age makeup on uh, – Aunt March. She's like, do you want age makeup on the professor? And I'm like, no, he's 34. <laughs> I'm 34. Well, if it's a 15-year-old playing him, it would make sense to age him it up is, a little it bit. Is an eight, it is a very baby-faced 18-year-old. I love you, Gavin. Um, but you have a youthful glow. <laughs> My students also just found out that I have podcasts because I found out about Marissa oh, Meyer no. knowing who we were in rehearsal. And oh. I was like really stressed out. And then I saw your message and I like immediately my mood changed. And I was like, Marissa Meyer knows my podcast exists. And everybody was like, you have podcasts? Oh, no, they're going to find so us. So now they might be listening. Welcome. Hello. If you are. Hello, Hello my friends. Students. Listen anyway. to, to Cassie's cast members and to all of our <laughs> listeners. Make sure you're subscribed to us and uh, go tell a friend about us. And since you want to help out Cassie because she's your director that you love, go ahead Make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That way you can support Cassie and me, I guess. But mostly Cassie. Yes, because all of our patrons are Drew's friends. And I need people <laughs> that are my friends so we can even the score. That's right. Speaking of which, thank you again to <laughs> Megan for sponsoring this episode. I think that's all we have. Do you have anything else? No, I think we've chatted enough about this like 70-page novella. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening. Ooh, I got a little squeak there. We will see you next week. Bye, friends. Bye. Bye.